Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is a sermon I preached at Sojourn East in Louisville, Kentucky. Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 15. So if you're able, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's word? But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace, so that, so the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Morning, friends. As we turn to scripture this morning, I'd like you to think with me for a moment about a time in your life when you found yourself in an in-between stage. Maybe it was like an in-between space. Maybe it was right before you got married, for those of you who are married. Maybe it was right after a divorce. Maybe it was a season where you were in between jobs or maybe in between houses. Maybe it was a time of cancer where everything in your life felt tenuous and you still had to try to live. For your high school students, several of you graduated in recent weeks. And for those of you especially who are heading off to college, this is one of those in-between stages and you feel that. The summer, you're in between what you've known as your life and what's coming. Maybe that in-between space for some of you was after the death of a spouse. Now, if you can get one of those memories in your mind of an in-between stage, and maybe you're in one right now, I want to ask you, what did that feel like? What did that feel like to you? Maybe it was a positive thing. Maybe it was a time of a lot of expectation and, and hope. You're looking forward to something coming, but, but maybe it was a time that was actually very confusing, very perplexing. Maybe it was filled with a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. What am I supposed to be doing? How do I live now that all the things I was used to are are not in place anymore? Well, in anthropology and psychology and spiritual formation, there's a word we use to describe that experience, and that word is liminal, liminal. And these liminal spaces um, are, that comes from the Latin word for threshold because they, they feel like you're in between things, like you're in between rooms. And really, to be human is to live in this river of time that never stops. So sooner or later, and actually all throughout our lives, we're going to experience 
these seasons and these times where we feel like we're in between things, these liminal spaces. And again, sometimes they can be exciting, but a lot of times they are they're, they're times of uncertainty and, and anxiety and confusion, especially when it's not something that we were planning. It's not something that we were building towards with something that's happened to us. Here's the question I really want you to think about today, and that is, how does that experience of feeling like you're in between and uncertain and out of control, those liminal spaces, how in the world does that fit with all the things the Bible says about, that are true about a Christian, that if you're a Christian, you are blessed by God, you're secure, you've got peace, there's joy, you're heading towards a life, you have a life of flourishing and heading towards it. How do those two things fit together? Because when someone becomes a Christian, they don't cease being human and we don't cease living in time. And so the Christian's life is also marked by these continual liminal spaces. How in the world did those bewildering times fit with what the Bible talks about? Again, having peace and shalom or what Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's the question. Well, today, as we continue our preaching through 2 Corinthians I think one of the biggest themes of the whole book and, and one of the greatest themes there, it really addresses this particular issue right on. And it's actually, we've seen it before, we're gonna see it in future weeks as well. And it's that how did Paul figure out how to keep living when he was in, when he felt these in-between spaces? And as I said last week, if you're here, I know a lot of us might feel like we have trouble relating to Paul. I mean, his life was very different than ours. He was an apostle and missionary and wrote, you know, a lot of the New Testament. But the reason why I think it's really good to kind of look over Paul's shoulder on this question is because he lived most of his life, much more than you and me. Our lives, I think, are pretty settled for the most part. We have things come and go. But Paul, kind of his whole life was lived in this kind of liminal space. And by listening to how he wrestled with that and how he continued to have faith in God, I think we can learn something for our lives today as well. And what we're going to see is the reality that actually all of the Christian life is actually living in a space in between spaces, that we're living in between two states. And especially, I think what we're going to see is that those spaces, that this space that we live in, and especially those times where we really feel it painfully, they are painful, they are perplexing, but that God is still present, and especially that God has a purpose in it. So what I want to do is I just want to turn back to these verses that Lindsay read for us and just kind of walk through them and ask, how do we put together this experience of liminality along with what the Bible says about what's true of us? So first, I want to look at verse 7 to 9. If you have a Bible, it's great. We'll put the verse on the screen sometimes, but it'd be great if you have a Bible with you or pull it up on your phone. First, I want to look at the first few verses here, starting in verse 7, that we can describe as God's imperishable treasure in our fragile containers. If you look back at verse seven, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. And by that first word being but, that reminds us that we are catching Paul kind of mid-thought and, and he's saying something already. And so the question is, what is the contrast here? What is the treasure that he's talking about? Well, if you were just to look back at chapters three and four, you'll see that this is what he spent a lot of verses talking about, and that is that the treasure is not only the message that we often talk about in Christianity, that your sins can be forgiven, that's absolutely true, that is a treasure, but the particular treasure he's talking about here is even bigger than that in the sense that be through Jesus Christ, who is the manifestation of God's actual presence and glory in the world, 
not only can we, in a kind of legal sense, have our sins forgiven, even more, God is actually transforming us. He is freeing us from bondage. He is changing who we are to be more whole people. That the message of the gospel, especially in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, is that our darkness, our brokenness, is being, light is being shed on it, and we are being restored. And the, what the, this is what the Bible calls our glorification, that we actually are being transformed into a state of glory. This is what he also is gonna say down in verse 14. He says, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And what this is saying is, and Pastor Mo is gonna talk about this next week more when he preaches on the following verses, but what this is saying is that we, if you're a Christian, you're actually in the process and we will eventually be resurrected even as Jesus was in, in, in bodies that will be transfigured or transformed or even glorified. And of course, we don't generate glory in the way that Jesus did in God, but we will perfectly reflect God's glory. And so we ourselves will be glorious creatures. But this is where verse seven comes in. But there's something we need to understand and there's something that we have to experience in this space before we are glorified. And that is that this treasure, this truth that is, we're experiencing even as we live now is actually being kept in a clay pot, in a jar of clay. Most commentators observe when they're on, talking about this passage is that clay pots were extremely common in the ancient world. This is like the normal kind of utensil and things. And so it wasn't overly valuable in the sense that, that uh, not that we as humans aren't valuable. The point is that they were fragile, they broke easily, and they were very common. And Paul's point here is he's trying to make us feel as sharp of a contrast as we can that this glory, this amazing message, this treasure that he's just talking about, he sees that in himself and in you and me, it's actually being stored and kept by God's choice in us as clay pots. And the, the point of the striking image, again, is this, this juxtaposition that we're supposed to feel. You see, because God has chosen to, to manifest, to store his glory, not just in sunsets over Cabo or in snow-capped Pikes Peak or the 800-meter drop of Angel Falls in Venezuela. Those are glorious things. And when you see those, you say, that's amazing, and that's God's glory manifested. But what Paul is saying is that God's fullest revelation, the actual revelation of God through the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, that glory, the ultimate glory, is actually being stored and revealed through us, through broken, imperfect, flawed, non-glorious creatures. Reminds me of a story that has happened, I'm sure, more than once, but happened again a couple of years ago. Maybe you've heard these kind of stories, like the, the guy in Michigan who went to the Habitat for Humanity Restore. He needed an old couch. Uh, I was, I don't think he had, you know, many, many means in this world. So he picked out an old junky couch. And when he got home, he discovered that one of the cushions was really lumpy and uncomfortable. So he was trying to fix it. And then he finally unzipped it and found in there $43,000 worth of cash, All right? 
Now you're all going to run out to Goodwill this afternoon and start pressing all the cushions, right? What had happened was, I mean, the great thing was he said he felt like God told him to take it back. So he went back to the store. Thankfully, they were able to find the people who had dropped off the couch because it was a, a grandfather of a family who had died. Like a year earlier, they had this couch. They finally just called the place, said, can you guys come pick up this couch? And so they did. Looked like nothing. It was ugly. It was the worst ugly couch you could imagine. But what a great picture of, uh, of this unsuspecting treasure being stored in something that does not look like it would be worth that kind of money. So too, even so, God is happy to store his most glorious manifestation in us as we are in Christ and Christ is in us by the Spirit. And Paul goes on in verses 8 and 9, if you look there, to, to describe what this clay pot, this fragile experience of being a human actually looks like. Look at those verses in 8 and 9. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And what I want you to see is that this is how the Bible is so real, because these are real experiences. These are painful experiences. These are unexpected, and they don't seem to go with the good news that Christianity is. I mean, who would put, if you were to you know, sort of try to describe Christianity, how many of us would put these adjectives, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down? I don't think we would. But what Paul is explaining is that actually our whole lives exist in this liminal space between our new birth as Christians. If you're a Christian today, you've actually been born again and God's own spirit dwells in you and this future time when we're actually gonna be transformed completely and glorified, our whole life lives between these two states, this ultimate liminal space. And you know, it's kind of weird if you think about it, the what God is up to. That is, if it's really true that God has manifested his power and his glory most fully in Jesus and then that now Jesus dwells in us by the Spirit, then why do Christians don't look any more glorious than other people. Why are our lives still full of sadness and they're often not full of joy and love and victory over sin? Why do we keep stumbling and struggling and experiencing discouragements and bewilderments just like Paul describes? I mean, it seems like God has a really bad advertising campaign here. In other words, it's like he's saying to the world, I'm manifesting myself fully through Jesus and how I'm gonna show you that I'm real and at work in people and transforming people is I present to you these clay pots. It'd be like if we were watching a Peloton advertisement and it showed like really discouraged, unhealthy people and the wheel flies off halfway through and they crash, right? Or an airline trying to get you to fly with them, and they show pictures of plane crashes and mosquito-infested bogs and long lines where they lost your luggage. That's what this advertising campaign seems like. He's saying the most glorious thing God incarnate himself is now manifested in clay pots, in regular, broken, and flawed people like you and me. And so we have to ask, what is God up to? And that's what leads to the next point. If you look, I'm going to pick back up in verse 7, but especially verses 10 to 12, he sums up in verses 10 and following 
all of this experience, as he describes in this weird kind of way of carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. And I think he's probably referring to a couple of things, but one is that what Jesus himself said, that to be a Christian is to take up your cross, this image of, of suffering and death, and Paul experienced that himself. And, you know, this is, he's going to describe it in, in other times as, you know, having this sentence death of, upon us. And then he tells us, though, why? That there's actually a purpose in this odd act of God. Look at verse 7 again in the verses 10 and 12. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body so then death is at work in us but life is at work in you. Do you see the purpose? He actually tells us exactly why God is doing this crazy thing. In other words, God's choice to store his treasure in our imperfect lives and in this liminal space of our difficulties is not random, it's not meaningless, it wasn't a mistake, it's actually purposeful by God. Verse seven, so that it'll be clear that this all-surpassing power is not from us, but from God. And verse 10, so that Jesus' resurrected life will be manifested in us. And friends, I don't know any more profound principle of the Christian life than this, that joy comes through suffering, that strength comes through being stretched, that life comes through death. And the point is that God is actually behind all of this. Our fragile clay jar experiences, they're not random. They're not out of God's control, but God is using them purposefully to do something deeper and more beautiful and more powerful in us. We experience death, Paul says, so that we might know real life. I really like how he said it back in the beginning of 2 Corinthians in 1, 8 to 10. Paul says, we were under great pressure. We we're pressed down far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There it is. That's the purpose behind all this experience that we have of confusion and being bewildered. And you know, this isn't just a New Testament thing. This is how God always has been because it's how humans have always been. If you go back to the, to the Old Testament, especially the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Old Testament where Moses is reflecting back on all that they went through, all the people of Israel went through and their rescue from Egypt, their time in the wilderness. And he sums it up by saying in Deuteronomy 8 that, that on the way to a land that's gonna be full of olives and vineyards and wheat and pomegranates and rivers and fountains and springs, which is God's you know, goal physically for his people and, and for us as well. On the way to that, the Israelites experienced a lot of hunger and a lot of thirst. But Moses reminds them God was present with them and, they had a, and he had a purpose. And Moses says in Deuteronomy 8 that God led you through the wilderness, but in the midst of it, 8.16, he says, he fed you in the wilderness with a manna that your fathers did not know, and pay attention to this, that he might humble you and test you, but it doesn't end there, look at that last phrase, to do you good 
in the end. You gotta let that sink in. To do good for you in the end. God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't harm us. God is not helpless when we face difficulties. But rather, in all, all that we experience, God is actually humbling us to do good to us in the end. That is the purpose. This is not random. To do good to us in the end. You might say, well, why do we need humbling? Well, if you read the next verse in Deuteronomy 8, he says, and beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You see, this is the universal human reality. That when things go well for us, which is a blessing from God, and it's good. God loves when we flourish, and, and that's from him. But when things go well for us, every one of us, no matter how much faith we have or how much we try not to, every one of us at some place in our hearts starts to believe that somehow we're responsible. We might put a bunch of spiritual language on it that's sincere even. You know, everything I have is a blessing from God. But when things go well, we all at some level believe because, yes, God blessed me, but, and man, we're a good team, <laughs> me and God. And this is the same thing that Moses is saying and Paul is saying. Now we have this greatest treasure of all, the glory of God incarnate in the Son, living in us by the Spirit of God. This treasure is in jars of clay, that is that we continue to experience trials and difficulties precisely so that we will learn to stay connected to God, to close to him, and so that we will learn, which we have to learn again and again and again throughout our lives, that all the good we have is from God, not from ourselves. And sadly, trials, difficulties, these are actually the only way we can really learn this. I often say, I don't trust anybody who hasn't suffered. Because you can only learn this kind of relationship with God through trials and difficulties and confusion, through feeling overwhelmed, through feeling crushed. Because, not because God's mean, the problem is ours because when we don't experience those things, we end up relying on ourselves and we miss the actual life that God has for us. Have you seen this in your life? I certainly have. When things are going well, it's good. And again, those are a blessing from God. And when things are going well is when we're more likely to drift away from reliance on God and onto self-reliance. But pain, difficulties, uncertainties, liminal spaces that we feel are precisely the places where we see God clearly and we see ourselves clearly, and it's where we grow. It's the only way. And this leads to the kind of the third move here, the last few verses. So how do we keep this perspective? Well, it's through faith. Look at verses 13 to 15. He says, it's written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You see, it's this forward-looking faith or trust in God, even if it's only a mustard seed of faith, but this forward-looking faith that it actually enables us to see what you can't see otherwise. 
to see that the, the jar of clay, the fragility, the cracks, the brokenness of the jar of clay experience is actually God at work for our good. And this faith or this trust in God, it also enables us and emboldens us then to testify this is what Paul's talking about. He's very outward looking. He's saying, I've experienced God's comfort. I've experienced God meeting me in the midst of this. And so I want to testify to that in the midst of this. And you see, the irony is that you and I, if we were sort of, again, making a kind of advertising campaign for Christianity and we want to say how great Christianity is and what it means to be a Christian, I think most of us would think that we'd want to, you know, talk about the most strong and amazing and successful aspects and the most successful Christians the reality is that God knows that the greatest testimony to God's goodness is not that we are amazing, but in the midst of our brokenness that he is amazing. That we are broken and desperate and flawed, and yet he is fully gracious to us even in the midst of that. And continuing to trust in God even in the midst of tears is the greatest proclamation that we have for the world. This is what Paul is saying, that as we look to God, even when it feels like we're dying, we bear witness to his goodness in our lives. That sense of our own failures and even that we're dying and desperate with even a mustard seed of faith is the greatest testimony to who God is. This reminds me of a story I read in a commentary as I was praying this week um, is someone talked about how many years ago in the Congo Republic, there was a celebration honoring the 100th anniversary of missionaries coming to the Congo. And at the end of that day, after singing and testimonies and other things, an old man stood up and he recalled the story of, I think when he was quite young, so it went back some ways. And he said that when the missionaries first came to the Congo, the leaders, the tribal leaders and others, the people thought them very odd and they actually thought it was very suspicious. They were very untrusting whether all this, what that was being said about Jesus being God incarnate, whether that was true. And so the tribal leaders to, to seeking to test the missionaries actually slowly poisoned them to death over many months, even years. And so the children's missionaries died one by one, but the missionaries stayed and they proclaimed the gospel and even as they themselves died. And the old man, looking back on this, commented that, he says, it was as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as Christians. It's a powerful truth and even those, those of us who aren't missionaries, and I trust your neighbors and coworkers are probably not poisoning you, I hope, but our testimony of faith in God, even in the midst of our imperfections and our flaws and our bewilderment and our confusion and our pain, our testimony to God's presence with us is the most powerful testimony that we can offer the world. And so what do we do with this? Well, let me just give you three brief statements to think about how this relates to our lives. So first, I just wanna say, don't be surprised in your life when you find yourself in liminal spaces. Don't be surprised. This is the human life and it's the Christian life. And all of us humans are made in God's image. And so we all have in our hearts this, this, these echoes, these longing echoes for the Garden of Eden. We all have in this, we know that we are made for something more. 
We know we fight against confusion. We fight against death. We fight against pain. We know in our DNA that we were made for something more than what we experience. And for Christians, I think it's even more acute because if you are a Christian today, you know clearly what you were made for and you've actually tasted a bit of it in Christ. And so the disjuncture, the discomfort you and I feel between what we know is true of us and what we're made for and what we're heading for and the the liminal space and the pain we experience now, that disjuncture is very painful. And so it helps me a lot. I'm trying to help you just say, remember, this is not a sign that there's something horrible in your life. If you're feeling this in-between, you're feeling confusion, bewilderment, even this is part of the normal Christian life because this, we are people living in between these two states. And the second thing, don't then reject difficulties because they are the way to finding fullness of life. Don't reject difficulties. And I, this is super nuanced, so I need you to listen to me carefully. Especially in light of things we've talked about in the last week or so, we're not talking here huge qualification about covering up abuse or you know, acting like bad things didn't happen. Certainly not what we're talking about. We're not supposed to just accept or receive or overlook such evil. And also I wanna give this important nuance that it's also okay to grieve. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to be frustrated. I mean, what's amazing about what Paul says, and this is again the reality of the Bible, those states he described himself, those were real feelings he had. He felt perplexed, he felt bewildered, he felt despair, he felt crushed, he felt a sentence of death. Those are real things. The Bible is so real, it doesn't act like everything's just fine and just put a smiling face on it. And, and so we, we should not either. And here's the point. When we face and when we feel those kind of feelings, what do you go to? How do you handle those liminal spaces? It's good to ask yourself that. Like I've shared with you before, I often just sleep. Like I just, I just get really tired when I'm really anxious and stressed out. Some of you, it might be drugs or alcohol, entertainment, you name it, you fill in the blank. You know what it is if you're honest with yourself. What do you do when you feel yourself in those spaces? Well, don't reject them. Don't escape from them. Don't treat them tritely. Don't just put a bunch of spiritual language on top of it. These are real things that we experience as real humans, just like the Apostle Paul did. Don't reject them, but with eyes of faith, even if it's mustard seed, through a veil of tears, recognize that this is the way towards finding fullness of life. And you know this. God gives you little testimonies of this. You know this if you lift weights or you know, take some board exam or the LSAT or something. Anything we do in our lives that stretches us beyond what we think we can do and then it brings us to a place and we realize we could do more than that, all those are little testimonies to teach us this fundamental reality of what it means to be a Christian that to, to find life is only through the obstacle. It's only through leaning into and embracing the, the difficulties with faith. And this leads to the third thing I want to say, and that is simply don't try to do this alone. It was not good for the first human to be alone even before the fall. How much more now? We are embodied social creatures. We are built and hardwired for community. 
We need friends. We need spiritual brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, which we get through the kingdom of Christ. And we need to remember that we are jars of clay, which means we are fragile and we are breakable and we need each other and we need people to create space for us when we're cracking and when we're breaking and we need, to, we need help. And we need to help others pick up the pieces of our lives when we do break. See, being in God's kingdom doesn't mean we won't crack, doesn't mean we won't break. It means that we have other people there to help us when we do. And I think a big part of this is that we need to be more honest and more vulnerable with each other when we need help. I know many of you, most of us were taught to kind of hide. And unfortunately in the church, we can be taught to hide as well. But the fact is you are jars of clay. We are broken people. We get to points where we do not know how to fix things. We get to points of despair and being perplexed and confused. That's okay. The journey is having people walk along with you to help you. And the only thing holding that back is if you're not honest with yourself and vulnerable with others as well. We need an authentic community. I mean, the fact that we are described as fundamentally fragile creatures, the sense that we're jars of clay, they're easily breakable, means that we need each other. So I wanna encourage you and challenge you to take a step even today towards being more honest and more vulnerable with the cracks in your life. Just yesterday, an old friend who doesn't live in town called me in great despair um, because God is peeling another layer of his life away and it's very painful, very fearful. This friend came under conviction about something that had happened many years, he'd done many years ago, nothing illegal or harmful to anyone else, but some situation in which he was not completely honest. And he's in a liminal space and it's tearing him up because uh, he doesn't know what the implications are gonna be, what loss is gonna come from, what consequences are gonna be. And, you know, I'm glad he called because I was able to hold space for him. And also I can already see um, because he wisely and beautifully saw that whatever consequences there might be, they weren't worth not being honest before God and others. And already he is seeing that God is using this difficulty in his life for his good. I know that he is finding greater closeness to God through this painful process than he wouldn't have otherwise. And it reminded me of, of something you've heard me probably say before, and that is that redemption is often even more beautiful than innocence. And so to bring this together, let me say again what I said at the beginning, that again, these liminal spaces that we experience, they are legitimately perplexing and they're painful. That's okay. You don't have to act like they're not. But that God is present. He is purposeful in all that you are experiencing. He is at work for your good. That's the fundamentally true thing about God. He is at work for your good. And so if you can embrace with eyes of faith what the space God has you in, you will see his glory manifested even through the cracks and breaks of our lives. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.